This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. Make this Lent sublime by broadening your supernatural horizons. Welcome to the Return to Order Moment. As this episode goes live, Ash Wednesday is only one week away. This may come as a surprise because it has been such a short time since the end of the Christmas season. As most Catholics know, Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent, the penitential season which lasts until Easter. Typically, most people observe Lent by giving up something, perhaps a favorite food, drink, or activity. Three years ago, Mr. John Horvath suggested ways in which each of us could make Lent more meaningful in his essay, How to Make This Lent Sublime by Broadening Your Supernatural Horizons. The penitential season of Lent is upon us. Catholics customarily observe the season by giving up something. These sacrifices normally involve foregoing habits, foods, and drinks as a way of atoning for our sins. It is a very personal commitment that reflects a desire to reform our lives. However, this year is not normal. We are told that we must accept a new normal that disrupts our habits and life patterns. Everything is upside down, including our Lenten observance. Adding to the confusion, many changes involve disastrous restrictions on our livelihood and our ability to worship God. Other concerns are anti-Christian laws that loom on the horizon. Our Lenten penance seems so detached from modern life. Thus, many people are discouraged because they sense themselves helpless to stop the dangers that have suddenly invaded our lives. This Lent, we should broaden our horizons beyond a personal desire for atonement. We need to find a way to assimilate the tragic events around us with our Lenten observance. If we can do this, it will make our penance more effective and our Lent more sublime. There is a widespread belief that the evils that have come upon us can be blamed only upon liberals. As conservatives, we cannot understand why we find ourselves in the present state of desolation. We have done much to oppose these evils. However, the triple burden of COVID, civil unrest, and election chaos weigh heavily upon us, despite our many efforts and prayers. Such an outlook is wrong. We can understand this Lent better if we consider our own faults and how they impact the nation. While liberal causes promote obvious evils like procured abortion, sodomy, and blasphemy, we also participate in many sins that have brought America to its present state of misery. We need to recognize our role and make reparation. Atoning for these sins this Lent is something positive we might do in the face of our helplessness to change society for the better. As in times of old, such atonement can move God to act in much more effective ways than our own. The Catholic Encyclopedia defines penance as a supernatural moral virtue whereby the sinner is disposed to hatred of sin as an offense against God and to a firm purpose of amendment and satisfaction. Unquote. The object of our penance is not sin in general or even the sins of others, but our own. We are accountable for them and should do penance. Thus, this Lent, 
We might look at our own sins through the wide-angle lens of what we have done to further the nation's evils. In this way, we can integrate our penances with what is happening in society. We can then see better the horrors of the world around us and implore God's aid. Indeed, America is a sinful nation. We must recognize this even if we grieve for the nation and seek justice. All sin before God and contribute to our nation's iniquity. We can sin by participating in matters that offend God. This is especially true in our participation in our hypersexualized culture and fashions. We have a role in facilitating impurity and the culpable acceptance of all kinds of sexual aberrations. We sin by omission in failing to speak out against the outrages that surround us. Many times, we can be silent, lax, or afraid to fight the sinful modern culture that invades family, community, and parish. We can sin by indifference to the blasphemies and offenses against God, His Blessed Mother, and the Church, often by those inside ecclesial structures. We must have zeal for defending church teaching and God's law in the face of a society that glorifies in destroying them. Indeed, we might ask ourselves if we have prayed enough for our decadent nation. We must hate our complicity, weakness, or laziness that allows these sins to continue unopposed. Thus, such a vision of our participation in the nation's sins should lead us to observe Lent differently. It allows us to see that the true cause of our present misfortunes is not only liberal agendas, but our indifference and iniquities that call down chastisement upon us. We would then be in the sublime position to call upon God and implore His mercy for the nation. Scripture says, Be converted and do penance for all your iniquities and iniquity shall not be your ruin. See Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 30. It is a balanced position that should not lead us to severe penances that are beyond our strength to fill. The principal act of penance is not the giving up or sacrifice. It is our hatred of the sins that offend God and our repentance. This heartfelt sorrow is what leads us to do or suffer something as a way of atoning for our sins. Thus, we might still observe our usual Lenten sacrifices of foregoing habits and nourishment. However, this perspective allows us to offer these same sacrifices to God as atonement born from the hatred of our sins. Thus, this Lent, we can do something sublime in the face of the great evils we face. There is no reason to be discouraged if we act in this manner. Indeed, this is a central theme of hope found in the Fatima message. History teaches us that God looks favorably upon these acts of atonement from humble and contrite hearts. He will come to our aid, influencing events in unimaginable ways. Lent is also a good time to reevaluate the role of our Catholic faith in our daily lives. This is especially important given the softness of American life. This softness has made us dependent on others to complete tasks that our ancestors had to do on their own. 
In 2012, Mr. Norman Fulkerson attended a gathering that highlighted this aspect of modern living and the ways to trim its harmful effect on us. He wrote about the event in his essay, Real American Men Put on the Armor of God. Over 1,200 men came together at the DCU Center in downtown Worcester, Massachusetts on a cool spring day. What were they doing? I will give you a hint. Joe Lombardi, the quarterback coach of the New Orleans Saints and grandson of the legendary Green Bay Packer coach, was also there. No, it was not a football game. It was the 12th Annual Catholic Men's Conference, put on by the Worcester Diocese, and Mr. Lombardi was there to speak about his Catholic faith and that of his grandfather. It was not exactly the way we would imagine American men, often stereotyped as couch potatoes who care little about religion and ideology, spending a Saturday. I saw them pack the room to capacity and listen to talks about their faith during what amounted to a one-day retreat and consider it to be another paradox that exists only in America. Such a large gathering of men for a one-day conference on Catholic themes is not as rare as one would think in America. Cincinnati has had crowds at their annual event which go into the thousands. Indianapolis has such large gatherings for their Lions Breathing Fire conference that they are forced to hold it in the city's convention center. Similar conferences can be found in Connecticut and as far away as Beaverton, Oregon, where its conference website invites real Catholic men to put on the armor of God. Wooster does take pride, however, in being the first to organize such an event, and the steady numbers they draw each year is a good indication that they are doing something right. This year's speakers involved a conference favorite, Father Larry Richards. His humor and captivating style held his audience's attention, even though his subject was about penance and a look at the Ten Commandments, including the one most often transgressed in our modern world, the sixth. While the subject of purity is a sensitive topic in any audience, one would expect it to be an almost forbidden subject in a room full of, well, mainly men. It was not. One elderly gentleman who spoke with me right after attending the talk was delighted with what he termed hard-hitting subject matter. Quote, Father Richards is not afraid to speak about tough subjects, he said, and we need to hear such things. Unquote. Another impressive part of the conference was the long line of men that I observed. No, they were not in line for beer and chips, since, as we have already said, this was not a sporting event that they were attending. These lines, the longest I had seen since my Ash Wednesday experience in downtown New York, were for the sacrament of confession. A room full of priests sitting a safe distance from each other listened patiently to what must have been close to a thousand confessions. One could see the men took Father's call to penance very seriously. One of the attendees chatted with me before entering the queue. He had a horrific scar down the side of his face and another on his forearm. When I gingerly asked him where the scars came from, his response startled me. A knife fight. 
It did not seem an opportune time to go any further with my questions, since my reason for being at the conference was to man a table with literature about TFP, Tradition, Family, and Property. I offered him a rosary as a gift, and asked him to pray for me. He smiled and said he would, before moving forward in the confession line. While he might have been one of the colorful attendees, the reader must not look upon this as the typical one. Most of the men were well-dressed, educated and articulate individuals, looking for answers to tough questions, and some brought their children. Two young men, ages 11 and 17, stayed for a long time watching TFP student action videos of TFP members defending traditional marriage at such liberal bastions as Brown University which has the reputation of being the Berkeley of the East Coast. Their father joined them after going to confession. He thanked me for the example of TFP members and described how his sons were mesmerized by what they saw. The highlight of the conference, and one which would have caused a liberal to have nightmarish flashbacks of Tim Tebow, was the talk given by Joe Lombardi. While he did talk a bit of football, it was only by way of analogy for men trying to be the best Catholic they can be. Much to our surprise, he described how his grandfather, the late Green Bay coach, studied in the seminary for three years and was a devout Catholic who attended Mass and prayed his rosary daily. Moments before his talk, he stopped by the TFP table and proudly showed me the rosary now his prized possession, which had formerly belonged to his grandfather. He continued this theme and shocked the audience in the process by explaining life in his own family which mirrors that of his grandfather. He, his wife, and six children also try to make the rosary and mass part of their daily routine. Decorations in the Lombardi household include a crucifix in every room and religious art throughout the house. As I listened to this young man, speaking in such frank terms about his Catholic faith to a group of men in Worcester, Massachusetts, I could not help but reflect how contrary this is to what many would expect to find in America. This is, after all, a land where men can speak about sports, but are cautioned to steer clear of forbidden subjects like religion and politics. Nevertheless, these are the very subjects which American men most yearn to speak about. These Americans don't mind being seen as real men who put on the armor of God, even if others might consider them a paradox that exists only in America. On Ash Wednesday in 2017, Mr. John Horvat saw an unusual sight. Ashes being distributed in front of a supermarket. That odd occasion caused him to consider the importance of this symbol, which is intensely personal and yet public at the same time. He recorded his thoughts in his essay, A Lenten Meditation on an Unconventional Ash Wednesday. As I went to the local supermarket this Ash Wednesday, I was surprised by a table outside on the sidewalk with two men in clerical collars. The sign said it all. Ashes to go. They were administering ashes to shoppers. I had already received my ashes from the priest at church, 
but I politely asked those manning the table if these particular ashes were Catholic. They said no, that the Catholic ashes were available in the morning. Theirs were Lutheran. I snapped a picture, since no one would believe me if I told them what I saw on my way into the supermarket that winter afternoon. Indeed, I could hardly believe it myself. This is the kind of thing that is not supposed to happen in the public square in America. I thought to myself, ashes to go at a 21st century supermarket? What an unexpected meditation to begin my Lent. The classical meditation of Ash Wednesday calls upon us to reflect on our morality and sinfulness as we enter the penitential period of Lent. The ancient practice dates back to the 8th century. When the priest puts the ashes in the form of the cross on our foreheads, he reminds me that we are dust and to dust we shall return. However, meditation need not deal exclusively with the intricacies of spiritual life. Broadly speaking, anything can serve as a point of meditation, as long as it facilitates a pious communication of the soul with God and helps us to know, love, and serve God better. Sometimes a casual event at a supermarket can trigger a meditation. It is amazing that more Americans flock to church on Ash Wednesday than on Christmas, Easter, or any other day. The dark, somber cross commands respect and benefits not only the wearer, but those who cannot help but see it and reflect upon God, religion, and repentance. My non-classical meditation on ashes to go certainly did get me thinking of the broader picture. I could not help but reflect that this incident was one of those only-in-America paradoxes that can be so fascinating to those who want to observe life. Things like this break some old preconceptions about our secular society that is really not so secular. I saw in the fact that so many receive ashes as a sign of God calling the nation to him. It awakened hope in me amidst a nation in chaos. You have to admit that there is something quintessentially American about the idea of ashes to go. It is part of our admirably practical side that sees problems and works out ways to get something done and quickly. In this particular case, the problem was ashes inside a church and people outside it. The solution was to bring the ashes to a place where everyone goes. The supermarket. First problem solved. A second problem was how to communicate instantly the fact that the ashes are available at such an unconventional place. The solution was to frame them inside a familiar template of a pickup window or quick service platform to go. One quick glance at the sign made it immediately clear to the shopper in a hurry what was going on. And yet, there is also something superficial in the concept, likewise American. While highly efficient and practical, Ashes to Go does somehow participate in the frenetic intemperance of a fast, materialistic, and mechanical culture that tend to reduce everything, even the sacred, to a to-go platform. It has overtones of pop theology that I obviously do not agree with. However, 
What really struck me about the incident was the avidity of Americans to receive and wear these ashes, even in the public square. While the means to administer the ashes used there was arguably very American, the message of the ashes themselves was shockingly countercultural. What makes Ashes on Ash Wednesday so incredibly powerful is the fact that it is appealing, public, and highly symbolic. The ashes touch something very profound in the American soul that refreshingly defies the culture. Liberal media stay carefully away from criticizing it. It is well known that lines stretch around the block near New York City's St. Patrick's Cathedral as Catholics and non-Catholics alike wait to receive ashes on this special day. All across the nation, people can be seen crowding the churches and supermarkets to receive this sooty badge of honor. It is amazing that more Americans flock to church on Ash Wednesday than on Christmas, Easter, or any other day. Even politicians on both sides of the aisle don ash crosses in the hallowed halls of Congress and state houses. On this one day, at least, no one dares to attack this very personal sign of the faith. While the ash cross is a very personal sign, it is undeniably public, and that is the extreme beauty of it. It cannot be ignored since it occupies the forehead, the most prominent part of the face. At a time when atheists are taking down crosses in the public square, they must watch helplessly as millions wear them proudly on their foreheads everywhere. As a public witness, the cross commands respect and benefits not only the wearer, but those who cannot help but see it. The dark, somber cross provokes others to reflect on God, religion, and repentance. However, the intense symbolism of this tradition is its most striking aspect. This symbol provokes a spectacular clash with our liberal culture that puts self-interest above everything. Nothing could be more contrary to the hypersexualized Hollywood message that life exists to be enjoyed to its fullest. The millions of small ash crosses are a rebuke to the secular establishment who would exile God from all aspects of life and invite him back. By wearing the cross on the forehead, we put on the symbol of suffering and redemption. We are reminded of the crosses that we are called to carry in our lives. We reflect upon how we have sinned and offended the good God. It is the symbol of our victory over the modern world that oppresses us. By wearing ashes upon our foreheads, we don the symbol of our mortality, that dust to which we must return. We are invited to meditate upon what the Catholic Church calls the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Scripture says that if we ponder these last things, we will not be lost eternally. We are called to penance in contrast to Hollywood's self-gratification. The symbolism of the ash cross broaches forbidden subjects banished from our culture that you are not supposed to think about on the way to the supermarket. That is the way God often works. 
I close my unconventional meditation with the consideration that the fact there is a still strong vein inside American society turned toward things religious and spiritual is a sign of hope. There is an attraction to things sublime that is spurned by our culture. This yearning for something more is aided by a grace of God that is calling us to Him. And this grace is powerful. I believe there are many in our postmodern wasteland who clash with the culture and are searching for God. I pray that every day of this Lent might be an Ash Wednesday in which each of us might serve as a beacon to direct these who are searching for Him. This Lent, I will clash with the culture. Wherever I am, I will remember my ashes to go. This concludes Make This Lent Sublime by Broadening Your Supernatural Horizons. Thank you for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. We publish a new episode every week as Tuesday becomes Wednesday at midnight. You can hear our program in two ways. The first is to subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. Another is to go to our website, www.returntoorder.org, and click on the podcast link at the top of the page, which will take you to a list with the most recent podcast on top. Listeners can help Return to Order be more effective by giving us a five-star rating with their favorite podcast service. Subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will find the Return to Order moment online. We would also like to recommend Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order. It is available as a free download on our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2024 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property. TFP.